0: One thing we see in the scripture, in the Bible, is that there is a difference between a morally restrained heart, like a legalistic, I'm going to keep the rules kind of heart, and a, a, a transformed heart. A Holy Spirit, gospel-shaped, renewed heart. Right? There, there's, a, there's a stark contrast between those. There's a difference between like using your own willpower, like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to make myself better, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to suppress my selfishness, I'm going to suppress my fears. There's a difference between that and then having the Holy Spirit invade your heart and, and fill you with new desires and renew you and, and permanently change you not by your power, not by your willpower, but by the power of the Spirit himself. There's, there's a difference. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Not, not the fruit of me trying harder. Uh, not, the, not the fruit of me really bearing down, you know, white knuckling it, pulling myself up by my bootstrap. No, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And here's how this connects to what we've been looking at in Romans, right? We've been working our way through the first four chapters, and as we've worked through that, we've seen our need for justification, right? We've seen that we are broken, sinful people. It doesn't matter whether you're religious or irreligious, we are all, apart from Christ, lost. We're lost. We're equally lost, right? And we, God creates us. He invites us to live in his kingdom under his rule. And all of us reject that. Some of us re- reject that by just diving headlong and saying, I don't care about you, God. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Some of us reject that by saying, God, um, I know you provide a way, but actually I think I'm just going to reduce your commandments down to this list that I know I, I think I can. I'm going to attempt to keep. And I'm just going to do these things. As long as I do them, then we'll be fine. But I don't really want you Right? I don't really want to know you. I don't want to really relate to you. We reject him. And, and as a result of that, we, we, we're severed from God. We're, 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 we fall short of the glory of God. And we have no hope of saving ourselves. Like we can't mend what we've broken. Right? There's no way that we can just make it go away. We're lost. We need justification. We need to be gifted with a righteousness that is not our own. To have that counted to us. And Paul shows us then uh, how, the way of justification, right? The good news of the gospel that the righteousness that we need has been provided for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That he's come and he's lived the, the righteous life that we never could in our place. And then he willingly went to the cross to die the death that we deserve in our place for our sins. He's risen, he's raised from the grave victorious over sin and death, displaying God the Father's acceptance of his sacrifice, that he accepts that as payment in full, that Jesus has paid it all, and we receive that gifted righteousness through faith. Not believing in God, not believing that he exists, but believing God, like Abraham did. Believing God, taking him at his word when he says, I've made a way. I've made a way of salvation apart from works of the law. I have provided the righteousness you need. Trust me. Receive it. And we come empty-handed and we cling to Christ. We trust Christ. We receive that, um, but we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And now in chapter 5, we see that the justification makes a difference. It makes a difference. Not just a difference. It makes every difference. Every difference. Not just to our eternal destiny of where we go when we die, when we we meet the Lord on that last day, but even in how we act and how we feel right now as we go in through day in, day out, the, the good, the bad, the ugly of our lives right now justification by faith, being made right with God, being counted righteous, being given the right standing that we need with God to be okay with Him, that results in joy. It results in joy. Not in a shallow happiness like our culture worships. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But in joy, a deep and lasting joy that sees you through the highs and the lows of life. That's what we're going to see our text today. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Uh, If you turn in your Bibles there, uh, I believe page number right there, 942. And let's go ahead and let's stand. Let's hear from God's word. Father, we, we thank you for this time to come and, and, and be taught from your, your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts, you would convict us, you would encourage us, and, and today especially, that you would just renew the joy of our salvation. And if we don't know you, that you would be, come rushing in to bring that joy into our life right now, in these, in these very moments as we sit under your word. Lord Jesus, may we see what you've done. May we be assured of your love. May we be transformed by that. May we see that all that your sacrifice has accomplished for us, what what our, our justification by faith, what our being saved in you, what your death and resurrection have secured for us. And may that move us to respond with rejoicing, with worship, no matter what we experience in this life. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. Paul is showing us here in the this, in this opening verses of chapter 5 the, the fruit of justification by faith. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, right? That whenever you see the word therefore, it points back to what's preceded it. It points back to everything that Paul has been talking about in Romans 1 through 4. Let's be clear once again what justification by faith is. I want you to be absolutely clear on that. See, every other religion, every other philosophy, every other worldview that there is in the world says something along these lines. Live as you ought, right? You live this way and obey God, obey the practice, obey this way of thinking, and then God or, or whatever it is that you're pursuing will bless you and accept you. You'll be right with them, Right? Only Christianity says you receive God's acceptance and blessings as a free gift of grace through faith alone because of Jesus's record, not because of what you've done, not because of what you've not done, but because of what Jesus has done. And then you can can and will live as you ought. You see the difference there? Religion says, philosophy says, I obey, therefore I am accepted. Christianity says, I am accepted at great cost to God's own son, therefore I obey. Do you see the difference? This is, this is revolutionary. This is completely turning things around. Christianity is not just another religion. It's something else, other, completely. It's a total reversal. To be a Christian is to be someone who is justified by faith. Not by what you've done, not by what you've not done, but by what Christ has done in your place. By trusting Him, by believing Him. Not believing in Him, not believing He exists, not believing that He's good, but believing Him when He says, I've made a way for you. I've made a way for you to be right with me, to be right with God through my life, right? Through my death. Not by anything else, just trust me. Cling to me, justification by faith. That's, that's what it is. And Paul is saying that in light of all we've seen here, there are three realities right off the bat, three benefits that justification brings. The first one he mentions right there in verse one that we just read, there is peace with God. There's peace with God. What does that mean? That means that there was war with God before he brought peace with God. That means that sin's not just a mistake that you make. Like you didn't just like, have a bad day, right? You didn't just like do. Oh man, I I, I fumbled the ball, right? I missed the note. Um, let me let me pick it back up and do better next time. No, it means you declared war on God. Sin is a declaration of war, right? You see, what happens is is when when two opposing entities, two opposing empires or kingdoms, declare kingship on the same territory. What happens? There's a war. There's a war. And that's what happens. In our sin, we say, I'm king. I'm Lord of my life. I get to make the decisions about what I do, who I am, what I'm going to do. I'm declaring I'm king of me. And God says, well, I'm actually king of you. I made you. I've created you. You're mine, right? Right? I'm king. like It's it's not up for debate. And so what does that mean? When you declare that you're king of something that he is actually king of, you have declared war against God. So there is hostility between you and God. But one of the greatest benefits of justification by faith, one of the greatest benefits of Christ's life, death, and resurrection is he's made peace between you and God. He's made peace. Like You see, because sin's not just a mistake, you can't just fix it. Right? You can't just say, oh, well, I'll wish it away. Uh, can you just look the other way on that one? Like God's perfectly righteous, holy, and just. He, he cannot tolerate sin. He cannot just give a free pass on sin. He would cease to be righteous and just. He must punish sin and sinners. His wrath is not anger. It's, 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 it's not like an anger like we have. It's a righteous anger against sin and sinners. He must punish And so it must be punished. But what does Jesus do? He comes and he takes the punishment in your place. He suffers the full cup of God's wrath and turns it to favor. He absorbs all of it, turns it to grace. He makes peace between you and God. Right? You're forgiven. You're forgiven. That's the first one that he mentions here. The second one, the second reality that justification brings, the second benefit is found in the first part of verse two. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have access to grace, and really, like if you dig into the Greek here, it has this this language of, of the sense of being introduced. Right? This is about your standing. This isn't about like grace as in being forgiven, but really like standing in grace, it, which it, it alludes to um, just our relationship, our, our being accepted by God, our acceptance by Him. And so, not only has God, not only has Jesus made peace between you and God, He's invited you into relationship with Himself and with God. You have access. You've not just been invited in to occasionally have audience with the king, with the real king, but you've been invited to move into the palace, to dwell there, to live there, to have this ongoing fellowship and relationship with the God of the universe, to stand in that, that you are accepted by God. You are adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters of Christ. That is who you are. That is where you stand. So not just peace, not just forgiveness, but you're welcomed into fellowship to know and be known by Jesus. Like Jesus not only died for your sins, he actually loves you. And not only does he actually love you, but he actually likes you. He wants to know you. He, he, He desires relationship with you. And through faith in him, you're ushered into that relationship. You're accepted, not because of what you do, not because of what you don't do, but all because of what he has done, what he has finished on his cross. The third bit of it, the last one is found in the last part of verse 2. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And Christian hope is not the same thing that we think of like when we use the word hope. Like I, I grew up in Kansas City. I'm a longtime Kansas City Chiefs fan. I hope someday once in my lifetime I will see the Kansas City Chiefs even just make it to the Super Bowl, hopefully win the Super Bowl, right? So that's how I hope, right? It's not like how a lot of you Cubs fans in the room are like, we hope this year. And, th- and that's probably a better hope than my hope for the Chiefs right now because, I mean, things are looking good. I mean, it was a good run last year. The, the team looks better, stronger this year spring training. There's hope that maybe it might happen, that this could be the year, but still that's not certain, right? That's an uncertain hope. We use it in an uncertain way. Biblically, Christian hope is not uncertain. It's joyful, confident expectation which rests on the promises of God. This will happen. This is a certain hope. This is a sure hope. This is an unshakable hope that we, we're talking about here. And the object of our hope is the glory of God, God's radiant splendor, which will in the end be fully displayed. We see glimpses of his glory in his creation. We we get the greatest glimpse of his glory in the person and work of Jesus. But one day, his glory will be fully displayed revealed when Christ returns in glory and we don't we don't just get to see it but we become part of it we're transformed into it right resurrected fully redeemed to dwell in glory with Christ forever we rejoice in hope of the glory of God that's what we rejoice in right That one day there will be no more death there'll be no more tears there'll be no more suffering we rejoice in a sure hope that that's not wishful thinking that will happen because it rests on Jesus Christ. It rests on God himself. I love what Tim Keller says uh, about this, this benefit in particular. He says, The reason this one comes third is because the more we experience our peace and access with the Father, the more desirous we are to see him face to face, the more certain and thrilled we become about the prospect of glory in heaven. And I love this part. By itself, heaven can be an abstract and unappetizing idea. I mean, if heaven's just me playing like a harp on a cloud, that doesn't sound really thrilling, does it? But if you come to taste access, if you come to taste access with God, acceptance, and you realize how intoxicating it is just to have a couple drops of his presence on your tongue, You will desire to drink from the fountainhead. That desire, focus, and joyous certainty of the future is called the hope of glory. You see how these build on one another. The more you think on the wonder of the cross, the more you think on the wonder of what it means to be justified by faith alone, the more you rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And notice that these three, these three benefits reflect the three tenses of our salvation, right? Through faith in Christ, we've been freed from our past. We, he's taken our sin. He's paid it all. And we're, we have peace now between us and God. Our past is taken care of. In Christ, our present, we now stand. We have access to grace. We are accepted by God. We enjoy relationship with Him. And one day we will experience the fullness of His glory in the future when He returns. The more we think on all that Christ has has secured for us, the more that brings joy into your heart. You cannot think on those things. You cannot think on all that that means and not just have this growing joy within you. As John Stott says in his commentary on Romans, it seems clear that, that the major mark of justified believers is joy. It's joy especially joy in God himself. It's, it's truly unique. Christian joy is, is something entirely unique. It's not based on your circumstances at all. In fact, Paul goes on to tell us that we can know and experience joy in suffering, right? Joy in suffering. Joy in suffering. Really? What? Right? Not only that, verse 3, not only that, not only can we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God that he's going to come, we're going to be part of that glory with him, but even right now we can rejoice in suffering. What? Like, what are you talking about, Paul? Um, that doesn't sound like something I really want to celebrate, right? Um, what, we, we can sort of get a, a grip on rejoicing in our peace with God, our access to grace, the hope of glory when things are going well in our, our life. But, but when things are not going well, right, what difference do those things make? Well, Paul says here, they make Every difference. Every difference. He says, not only do we have these joys, but they remain joys in our pain and sorrow. And they help us find joy in our suffering. See, our culture, our culture worships happiness. Our culture is all about happiness. Like it's, it's all about making your life comfortable, making your life easy as possible. It's all about just make, pleasing us. Pleasing self. It's, it's worshiping that. Let me just give you an illustration. Uh, the Bridger Wilderness in Wyoming in 1996, they put out these comment cards for visitors to the wilderness to like, give suggestions for ways to make that, that park more appealing, you know, better, a better time spent there. These are actual comments they received. They're awesome. Um, Trails need to be wider so people can walk while holding hands. Isn't that cute? Uh, that's, that's just lovely. Um, Trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. (laughs) Real comments here. Too many bugs, leeches, and spiders and spiderwebs. Please spray the wilderness to rid the area of these pests. (laughs) Chairlifts need to be added in some places so that we can get to wonderful views without having to hike to them. The coyotes make too much noise. Last night, they kept me awake all night. Please get rid of these annoying animals. And lastly, this was one of my favorite ones, a McDonald's would be nice. <laughs> right? right? We're obsessed with ease and with comfort and with making, with making things easier on us. We're obsessed with happiness, avoiding suffering at all costs, avoiding hard things. But Paul says we can rejoice. We can rejoice, Christians, in our sufferings. He's not saying that we rejoice from our sufferings. Like, we're not like, yay, I got cancer. This is great. This is the best news of my life. Like, we don't react like that. No, we rejoice in our sufferings, not for our sufferings. That, that's masochism. That's not what he's talking about. Nor do we just bear down and grit our teeth and like, mm, I'm just going to get through this. I know this is hard, but I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it, right? No, we rejoice. We find joy even in the midst of the most difficult things in our life. In the most difficult circumstances, how? How? By looking through. Right? By looking through our suffering to see the certainties. To see the certainties that are ours. To see those benefits resting in the knowledge that the troubles will only make those blessed realities, those blessed benefits of our justification, mean all the more. When you're in the midst of something hard... It means all the more that you have peace with God, that you have access to come with, come to him and share your heart, to pour out the struggles that you're going through, to to pour out your emotions and, and go through the full range of those emotions. Like Christianity is not all rainbows and unicorns. We're not all smiling all the time. There's a full range of emotion that is allowed, but we can bring all of that to Christ. We have access to God. And we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God that this present suffering is not our eternal reality. We have assurance. We have certainty that, that glory awaits in the end. We can look through. We can rest in that. Suffering actually produces positive results in our life. It actually helps us grow in a deeper appreciation. It actually helps us grow as, as Christians. It actually grows our joy. And this makes no sense to our, our culture, does it? It actually grows our joy. What are the positive results? Well, Paul gives us this, this chain reaction in verses 3 and 4. He says, suffering produces endurance. All right there 's a suffering if you 're going to be a distance runner, uh, clearly I look like i 'm an expert on this um, right there 's a suffering that a distance runner has to go through to be able to train for a, a marathon right you 've got to put your body through some suffering to get ready to run that distance. I know because it takes I go through suffering to run like a mile um, you know so Twenty-six point two. That would be a lot of suffering, uh, right? You need this stick-to-itiveness. You need this endurance to run the race that's set before you in your life. Right? We need the stick-to-itiveness if the Word of God is going to produce fruit in us. Our endurance, our spiritual fortitude, bears up under and is even made stronger by suffering. Now, as you suffer, right, your endurance is actually strengthened. As you look through, as you press into Christ rather than running from him. In ter- endurance, in turn, produces character. Verse 4, right? This word is, is really a, a word that means testedness. Testedness. that Someone who has been tested and they've passed the test. That's only possible if you follow through. If you follow through and experience things and you pass the test. You endure through the suffering. You see this all the time in the sports world. Right there's the the young team that's never been to the the playoffs before the postseason before they maybe have more talent on paper but then they get to that big moment they've not been tested and sometimes they kind of waver they get the jitters they seem to kind of be a little nervous the moment kind of takes takes it away from them a little bit. But then you see some of the veteran teams or the tested teams who have a history of of being there again and again. And they get to that moment and they're they're not as overcome. They're not as jittery, right? Because they've been there before. They know what this is like. I mean, you saw that maybe even kind of play out a little bit in the Super Bowl, right? You had a team that was there two years before that was, I thought, not a better team, right? Uh, I especially thought they're not a better team. I'm a Chiefs fan, I hate the Broncos. But um, I kind of wanted the Panthers to win secretly don't hate me um right but the panthers had not been there and then and you kind of see that kind of play out doesn't always work that way sometimes the young team comes in and wins but there's this thing right being tested it 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 produces this poise this depth this this kind of i i know what i'm doing I, i can i know how this works i know how to press through i know how to do this the more that we go through that the more it produces that within us and then character produces hope which is simply a stronger assurance and confidence that you have peace with God, that you have access, that you have a future glory awaiting you. You see, suffering erodes all the other places that we go to to put our confidence, to to seek our comfort, to seek hope in, right? It erodes all those, like, you know, wanting to be comfortable, wanting to be healthy, wanting to be wealthy, thinking that, you know, if there's enough in the bank account, I have security. Well, when suffering comes, it erodes that, right? It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank account if you're going to be dead in six weeks, does it? It erodes all those other things. And it helps you to focus in on what truly is your hope, your only hope, the only real hope that you've ever had, Jesus Christ. It erodes those things and it helps that grow. Here's what Paul's really saying. Not only are the benefits of justification not diminished in the midst of hard things in your life, they actually grow. They're actually made greater by it. And the faith, if you face suffering with the clear grasp that you are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, your joy will deepen. Even in the midst of the hardest things in your life. Not rainbows and unicorns, smiling kind of things, but a joy. It's a different thing, it's a deeper thing, it's a sustaining thing. Right. Suffering always exposes what you're really trusting in. Are you trusting in you? Are you trusting in, in Jesus? It's, it's good for us. And it's good for us to be exposed and then repent and put our trust in Christ and to grow through that experience. Okay. If we can look through our circumstances and suffering to see the cross, we will see that God's not punishing us. That's a lot of times what we think, right? Oh, this bad thing's happening because God's punishing me. God hates me. He, he doesn't love me. He's putting me through this because he's punishing me. Right? And it may be true sometimes that there could be like kind of a cosmic intervention in your life, but just remember, whenever there's an intervention, it's because people love you. Right? Not God will punish you, God, not God's waiting to drop the hammer on you. God loves you. God loves you. If you look to the cross, you see that He loves you because He took your punishment for you. Not some of it, but all of it. All of God's wrath was absorbed up in Christ. He took it all, satisfied it all, and there is none of it left for you. None. He's not punishing you. He loves you. He's with you. That's the, the most often like promise and command in the Bible, right? Fear not is the most often repeated command in the Bible, and almost always right after that comes, for God is with you. For God is with you. You're free to see your, your, your suffering not as God trying to get you, but as God bringing you to a greater appreciation of all that he has done for you of his love of the benefits that he gives you by saving you and rescuing you by grace alone but how can you be sure right and how can we be sure how can we know that this isn't just a lot of inspirational feel good kind of kind of talk here how can we know that this hope is certain and not just wishful thinking well paul shows us that in christ we have joyful assurance and this assurance is not based on how well you're doing, how well you're performed, how many times you read your Bible this week, how many times you prayed, how many times you've been to church in the last month. It's not based on all your circumstances, your feelings. It's, it's assurance, right? If assurance is based on you and what you do or what you don't do, then you don't really have assurance, do you? Because either you can look and you go, man, this week, this week sucked, right? I blew it. So where's my assurance now? I don't, know, I don't know that I even have any, right? If it's on me. Or if things have been great, you're just like one mistake away from blowing it all too, right? It just Tomorrow could be the bad day and then it's all gone. So if it's on you, there is no real assurance. Assurance is all on God. The Bible says things like this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. The Bible speaks with a language of certainty. With the language of, of, of assurance, that things are not up, hanging in the balance, but it is done and settled and finished. And Christ wants you to rest in that assurance, right? He wants you to rest in that, so we can rest in a knowledge that our hope is certain. But there's more. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. In verse 5, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here's what that's saying. That language of poured is an experience, right? That God gives us the Holy Spirit, uh, Spirit and he gives us a, a taste. He gives us an experience of his love. You know, if we're looking to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, right? We, we know the feast that awaits us in the end in glory. What, what God does every now and then, right, through the Holy Spirit in your life, is he gives you a little appetizer, right? He gives you a little taste of that glory here and now through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's an experience of that right now. And th- through the work of the Holy Spirit, we, we, we experience God's love. We, we feel assured of God's love inwardly. And the greater that inner experience of love, the greater your assurance is. And generally how it works is the people who have the greatest sense of that inner assurance are the people who are like the most faithful, you know, prayer warriors who are in the scriptures meditating on God's word, you know, really disciplined people. The more you do that, the more you tend to like tap into some of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. Some experience this incredibly, in incredibly powerful ways. Um, The old English Puritans wrote about this. Uh, Richard Sibbs. Says, he describes the Spirit's work kind of like this. Sometimes our spirits cannot stand in trials. Therefore, sometimes the immediate testimony of the Spirit comes to us saying, I am thy salvation. And our hearts are stirred up and comforted with joy inexpressible. This joy has degrees, right? Sometimes it is so clear and strong that we question nothing. Other times, doubts come in soon. What does that mean? It means sometimes that experience of the Holy Spirit's assurance is stronger than others. Sometimes it's so strong that you, you don't doubt at all. Like you're like, well, I'll take that. I'm good, right? I'm moving on. Other times you experience that and in the moment you're like, I'm feeling good. And then like 20 minutes later you leave that moment and it's like the doubts start creeping back in. Another contemporary of his, William Guthrie, described it like this. It's no audible voice. But it is a ray of glory filling the soul with life, love, and liberty. It is like the word to Daniel that said, O oh man, greatly beloved. Or like the word to Mary Magdalene on the first Easter Sunday morning. The Lord only said her name, Mary And filled her soul so she no longer doubted she was his. Oh, how glorious is this manifestation of the Spirit. There's this internal experience of God's love that assures us. But but that's not all, right? There's externally, outside of us, there's the cross of Christ powerfully declaring to us that God loves you. That you are loved. Look at verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? While we were powerless, weak sinners, rebellious against God, Christ died for you. You hear that? And then Paul follows this logic. You know, it's not common for someone to die for someone else. Not a lot of people say, I'll, I'll die for you. Sometimes, maybe, he says, for someone who seems to be good, a really, truly, deeply loving person will say, I'll die for you, right? But not even a really loving person would die for an evil one, not for one who's an enemy, not for one who's declared war against them. Like, nobody does that. But what does Christ do? He does exactly that. While you were sinners, while you were at your worst, while you were at war with Him, while you were running away from Him, Christ pursued you in love. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose for you while you were at your very, very worst And this is how a Christian can have certainty that they will experience that fullness of God's glory when Christ returns. How you can know that that you're saved, not just now, but always. Look at verses nine and 10. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him, but from the wrath of God. And he's not talking about like the wrath that he's already paid for. He's talking about on the judgment day when Christ returns in glory and there's judgment for sin and sinners. If those who have not trusted in Christ are judged eternally, for that sin, you were saved from that. Like you were saved on the cross, you're saved from that too. Um, let me pick up where I left off here. Uh, much more, while we, for, while, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more that now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. In other words, if Jesus died to save you while you were his enemy, while you functionally hated him, while you were at war with him, running from him, if he's willing to die for you then and save you, now that you're reconciled, now that you have peace with God, you have access to God, you've been invited into the family of God, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous to think he won't still save you, right? You're his friend now. You're no longer his enemy. So if he saved you while you were his enemy, he was willing to go to those lengths to rescue you. And you've trusted him. You put your faith in Christ. How much more will he save you now that you're his friend? How much more will he save you? You can have assurance, Christian, of your salvation. That your standing with God is secure in Christ, not in you. It's in Christ. Do you see the joy of knowing that if God is the one who brought you in the faith, which he is, by the way, then it's a sure thing that he will keep you going in faith. That he will endure. He will help you persevere. This is why verse 11 essentially says that our only response is to worship, is to rejoice, that we have been justified by faith and reconciled to God. That's our only response. He's done it all. Jesus has paid it all. The only response for us is who have trusted in him is to just worship, to just rejoice. Whether it's a good day, whether it's a bad day, whether it's somewhere in between, a little bit of both, rejoice. He's paid it all. You're saved, you're secure, you have peace with God, you have access to God, you have hope of glory, of future glory in Him. The fourth century Bishop Augustine said this in a prayer, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You can find joy in knowing Christ, in knowing peace and fellowship with Him, even if everything else is taken from you. Do you see that? even if everything in your life your loved ones your 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 bank account your your home everything is taken from you he is enough that you can still find joy in him not like cheesy happiness but joy right joy You can look forward with complete assurance to your future home in glory that this is not the end, this is not how it will always be. And you can experience a foretaste of that glory right here and now through the Holy Spirit's work in your life, reminding you, assuring you of God's love for you. As you look at the cross of Christ, it it declares, it screams, it shouts at you, you are loved, it's paid in full. Your hope is secure. It's not based on the Cubs' performance this year. It's based on Christ's performance, his life, his death, his resurrection. It's done. It's paid for. You can rest. You can rejoice, Christian. Look through. It's not dependent on your feelings or your circumstances. Your joy is dependent on him. And he has finished the work. He's finished the work. He has made certain that you have peace that you are welcomed in, that you have hope. Look to the gospel. Let the Holy Spirit continue to renew that taste of glory. Trust him. We need one another in this. You can't do this on your own. You need, you need brothers and sisters. You need community. So dive in as deep as you can go. If this is your church, dive in as deep as you can go here. Get into a community group. Follow through with that. We need encouragement because we're going to forget all of this all the time. Right? This isn't your church. Go back to your church and dive in as deep as you can go. Dive in as deep as you can go so they can encourage you, so they can walk with you. They can remind you of the sure hope so you can dwell and rest and live with a joyful heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to be in your word. And we thank you for all that you have secured for us. And we pray, Lord Jesus, you would fill our hearts with assurance, with joy that that would be the mark of our lives, that that's what people would see. Not, not the happiness that our culture craves, but a real joy that is not fickle and dependent upon our, our ever-fluctuating emotions and circumstances, but is fixed and steady on the cross of Christ. Or would you transform us? Would you use us as beacons of hope for the city that we live in? We pray that you would save many. It's in Jesus' name we, we pray, amen.